Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Hebrews 13, the book of Hebrews chapter 13. We continue our study through the New Testament. And, you know, it's very important as we are in these later chapters of the book of Hebrews, how, you know, not to forget what we see in Hebrews 5 and 6, where there's the exhortation to move away from milk and move beyond the elementary things. And remember what's so powerful and what's so beautiful here is that we have this backdrop of what we've studied in Hebrews, along with other backdrops of what we studied in, you know, other letters to the to the churches, letters to, to saints and letters to pastors. But then also with the backdrop of our studies th- th- with uh, through Torah, you see the Old Testament. And so here we are in Hebrews and what a beautiful mighty, wonderful work the Lord has done. And what's so powerful about chapter 13 is that you also see the accompaniment of gifts of the Spirit. I mean, you remember how the exhortation in Hebrews 5 or 6 to move away from milk and move away from the things elementary, but then at the same time, there's a beautiful simplicity to what we see in Hebrews 13. And that's the accompaniment of the greatest gift, which is love. Remember our study through 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest gift being love? And so here we are in verse 1 in Hebrews 13, let brotherly love continue. This is Philadelphia. Philadelphia, brotherly love. Philos, Adelphos, it's brotherly love. It's the fondness, love, and affection as friend unto the brethren. You see? It's very powerful, very interesting to consider too, you know, in, 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 in Revelation uh, 2 and 3, the seven churches and only two are not told to repent because they're in good standing with the Lord. But at the same time, you know, to see uh, the makeup and the building blocks of Philadelphia, but then at the same time to also understand the, not just the meaning of Philadelphia, which is this fondness and love and affection unto the brethren and within the brethren and the very gift of love which is from the spirit is something that the church in philadelphia has you see and we see here in verse one let brotherly love continue Notice in verse 1, the writer doesn't say, well, you know, God is sovereign and he will make you love. No, the writer implores, let Philadelphia stand. Let brotherly love continue, stand and remain. That's how it translates. Let, 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 let. Very important. You see, because it says let, the writer here says let, now we have a choice to make. Will you let? Will I let? Will we let? I'll put it another way. Will you and me yield to the word of God? And there is such purity in this kind of love. This is the kind of love that, as it is written, suffers long. The kind of love that is kind, the kind that does not envy, that does not parade itself, that is not puffed up, that does not behave rudely, that that does not seek its own, that is not provoked, that thinks no evil, that does not rejoice in iniquity, 
that does rejoice in truth, that bears all things, that believes all things, that hopes all things, that endures all things. You see, there is something so beautiful and pure about this kind of love that the world does not comprehend. Does not comprehend. And it's so beautiful to see this in the lives of believers, in the body of Christ. And we see here in verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers. This is hospitality and hospitableness, fondness, friendly. This is towards strangers. Now, verse 2 says, don't forget. Don't forget, verse 2 says. But what's happened today? People have forgotten. It's just like we read about in the book of Judges. What happens when the Lord becomes forgotten? And we can look at the history of the Bible and read passages in history and understand, well, like, okay, so, you know, this is what happens in Judges and it breaks my heart. It hurts. But we just, just look at today. You see? Understand that wisdom is required here because, you know, remember in our study, in our studies through Numbers and Deuteronomy, how how there was instruction given to lead with love when Moses was telling the the, the children of Israel about the the war footing that, you know, you guys are going to enter this this promised land and you will receive your inheritance and there will be a war footing, but lead with love. When you go into a town, lead with love, you know, like, you know, that, you know, with, with grace and mercy, lead with love and, you know, make peace with the people, but then, you know, put the ball in their court. You know, you, you know, you, you don't just, you know, go into town and it's a just straight up massacre. No, lead with love. That's the war footing. The war footing while also leading with love. And then people have a choice to make. The people have a choice to make where they might say, well, you know, we're against you. We're against your God. And OK, we're going to go to war. Or they might say, you know what? I've seen what your, your, your God has done. I, I remember what happened in Egypt. And you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't want to mess around. I don't want to play around. You know, your God, you know, we have our gods, we have Molech, we have Baal. And now we realize that they're nothing compared to your God. And you know what? We want to worship your God. We're done with these other gods because they've proven themselves to be powerless. And so we want to worship your God. See, they have a choice to make. But Moses, the exhortation and warning and admonition of Moses was, hey, lead with love. Making peace with the people. I mean, if, if, if at that point the people want to get froggy, okay, there's a reaction to that action. But you lead with love. And as New Covenant believers, we're under similar, it's a similar uh, uh, a war footing, but a different rules of engagement in a different theater of war. But we also lead with love. You see, we're also in a war footing. But the action, the the reaction that we have is not carnal. Is not carnal. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal in nature. They are spiritual. Understand, 
And, you know, when you hear us say that there is much wisdom required here, because understand there are demonically influenced people today, in these days, today. And they pretend to be curious about things of faith. They pretend to be Christian even. They pretend to be new believers. And their whole goal is to seek out the meeting places of the underground churches, churches, Christians that gather because it's too dangerous to, to, to meet in public. So they meet in private in people's homes. They meet in, you know, in forests. They meet in discreet locations because they have to be secret. They're underground. And so these people, they seek out, you know, they pretend to be Christians. They pretend to be Christians. And, you know, once they, once these false brethren enter, they go and they tell their cohorts about where these underground saints meet. And then Christians get slaughtered. Today, this is happening today. I mean, it's happened in history too, but it's happening today. Christians get killed, imprisoned, abducted, raped, beaten. It's happening And so much wisdom is required in these last days. And you and me, we are to lead with love. We are to lead with love. And we see here in verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. I mean, through our studies in both Testaments, it's not uncommon to see the activity and involvement of angels in the affairs of men. Remember our study in Judges 5? Where there was the the battle and most tribes missed out on the involvement of angels in the affairs of men. But Zebulun and Naphtali, different ballgame with them, you see, because they had the better formula. I mean, here in Hebrews 13, says that in entertaining and hosting these strangers, some have unknowingly entertained angels. I mean, these are very beautiful passages, very, very beautiful passages. And I don't want to ruin the mood at all in any way, shape or form, but it has to be said. It must be said. Satan He presents himself as an angel of light. These are things that we've studied from the Corinthian letters. He presents himself as an angel of light. And there are those of mankind who are demonically influenced and demonically possessed. And Christians too easily fall for traps. You see, dangerously focusing on Hebrews 13 too. Oh, look, It could be that I'm entertaining angels. It could be that I'm entertaining angels. Listen, I understand. It's it's, it's not a, a, a bad thought to have because it is a biblical truth. But the problem is also forgetting all the it is also written's. You see, these passages that we're looking at, you know, do not forget to entertain strangers for by so, do, for, by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained the angels. That's beautiful. It's so lovely. It's so wonderful. It's so marvelous. It's, it's beautiful. Beautiful truths. And it's very beautiful to know this very real possibility of entertaining angels but only this do not entertain the fallen angels because they want to kill you i'll say that again 
do not entertain the fallen angels. I mean, if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our studies from 1 Corinthians. And, you know, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and all through the books. Because it will help you grow and mature and you realize like, wow, you know what? I can't, you know, you, you and me together, we have to be able to discern the times. We have to be able to discern flat out. Discern the times, redeem the times, just as the Bible tells us. And much wisdom and discernment in these last days is of utmost importance. You see? In verse 3, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. And see, these are, these are passages. Holy Scripture, passages of Holy Scripture that are very beautiful. But they often get twisted. They often get twisted by people and sometimes even politicians. And they twist the Scriptures to support their own twisted and corrupt lifestyles. And they attempt to take Christians on guilt trips. You must examine the fruit. Because Hebrews, the book of Hebrews was written around 67, 68 AD. In that time frame, it's an extremely, extremely, extremely dangerous time to be a Christian. Extremely. I mean, on one side, there's the religious leaders persecuting the saints. On the other side, there's the Romans persecuting the saints. I mean, say, for example, there's a fellowship of believers. Well, let's, let you know, scratch that. Let's get in the time machine, you and me. Let's go in the time machine to 68 AD, you and me. And we get in the time machine and we go into a home fellowship and there's 20 believers. And praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. We worship the formulas right. Good teaching, good pastor, beautiful fellowship, love feast. It's so beautiful. And then the next time we meet, Say it's, you know, the next day or a couple days later and we gather and there's only five of us. There's only five of us. What happened? Where's everybody else? And then a sister comes running in. Oh, you, the Romans came and swept town. And they took the brethren. Imprisoned because according to them, according to the Romans, Caesar was God. And what they would do in those days, you know, you'd be captured by the Roman soldiers and they'd put a sword to your throat. They'd take a sword and put it to your throat. Who is Lord? Who is Lord? You say, Caesar is Lord. You get to live. Everything's fine and dandy. You get to go home, live, you know, see your family, have a nice meal. Okay, have a nice day. But there's a problem. You deny the Lord. You get to live. But you deny the Lord. You see? But they say they have a sword to your throat and you say, Jesus is Lord. That's against the law in Roman. That, that's against Roman law. Because you're acknowledging Caesar is not God. So you have the, the sword to your throat. Who is Lord? And you say, Jesus is Lord. Now the Roman soldiers have a choice to make themselves. They can either push the throat, the, the, the sword through your throat and, you know, you're dead. Or they can imprison you and have you in their holding cells, 
And in those holding cells, they would await, okay, what is there going to be a trial? Is there, are we going to, you know, take these people to the games? And, you know, the women would be raped, the children would be raped, you know, and, and where the games are, you know, that's where the spectators would watch Christians to be tortured, tortured, raped, eaten alive by animals. It's like today's R-rated movies, you know, you know, today people walk into the cinema, but back then they would walk into the stands of the arena for their R-rated entertainment where Christians would be tortured. Children raped, women raped. A group of Christians there, men, women, and children, and then they let out you know, like a whole bunch of lions. They let out a whole bunch of tigers. And then they watched the Christians run and scream, being eaten alive by the animals. You see? Back then, you know, no actors back then. They were real people, Christians. Our brothers and sisters. Young, old, of a prior era. You see? For entertainment at the expense of their lives. That's what happened. So we, we, we look at verse three, you know, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. And, you know, the politicians, you know, and, you know, the, the, the Sudadelphos, you know, they want to take you on a guilt trip. But we have to understand the times and the eras of, you know, of this letter. I mean, it's, of course, we have compassion on all people. But the cost of being a Christian in this era of Hebrews the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews. It's very dangerous to be a Christian at this particular time. You see? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, remember them. Remember the prisoners. Don't just remember them, but remember them as if chained with them. You see? And that's what happens with koinonia. That's what happens with ecclesia. They are you and you are they. Why? Because we're one body. One body. So you and me were in our time machine and there's just five people where the previous day of fellowship, there was 20. What happened to everybody else? And somebody says, well, they... What, what happened to this brother? We just met him. What happened to this sister? We just met her. And they say, oh, they're in prison now. They were captured last night. We're five, much smaller in number. So is the mindset like, you know, like, whew, we dodged a bullet. Oh, stinks to be them. Is that the mind? Because that's a heartless mind. It's also the wicked mind. Well, look, you know, we dodged a bullet, so, whew. Too bad for that guy. Too bad for that gal. The heartless mind is the wicked mind. You see, we're just five in this. You know, we got in the time machine. We go back and we're just five now. We're just five. The home fellowship used to be 20 and now we're just five. But the 20 that are in prison awaiting, you know, some are going to have trial. Women are going to be raped. But the majority are going to be eaten by tigers. And you know what? We're chained with them. We're chained with them. And we grieve. We're in so much pain. Because we're one body. That's koinonia. 
That's ecclesia. Cannot be manufactured. It's holy. You see, when Jesus says to Saul, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I mean, carnally speaking, according to the flesh, Saul wasn't doing that. He was coming against the Christians. I mean, that's carnally speaking. But spiritually speaking, Saul was persecuting Jesus, who is the head of the body. And that's why Jesus says, why do you persecute me? He doesn't say, why do you persecute them? He says, why do you persecute me? One body. Koinonia, Ecclesia. You see? And it's so powerful to consider the cost of being a Christian at this time, 67, 68 AD. And the writer here is saying, remember the prisoners in verse 3. But don't just hold them in your mind, he says. Remember them as if you're chained with them. The anguish of being a Christian and knowing, you know, like, you know, last month, you know, I heard what they did to this brother. Last week, I saw what they did to this sister or I heard about what they did to this kid. And, you know, they beat this lady. They took this kid and they beat him. And, you know, I saw them, you know, and, you know, this person they just killed on the street. And that anguish being in, in prison, in chains. Is it reserved for just them? Because when we're one body, we also grieve with them. We also hurt with them. We are also in pain with them because we're one. That's unity. Not the manufactured unity. People attempt to manufacture unity, but they fail. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. The Lord must build the house, and the Lord has built the house. It's the word. His kingdom. His kingdom. Not of this earth, not on this earth. Zion. The new Jerusalem. You see? One body, that unity, unity of the church, saints, ecclesia, koinonia, not a social club. I mean, sometimes, you know, you're in a church, you're in a fellowship, and it, it, it hurts me to say this. I, it pains me to say this, and I almost borderline don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. It feels cheap, and I hate to say that, and borderline don't want to say it, but it feels cheap. Straight up, point blank, and I call it like I see it. It feels cheap. You know why? Because it's a mere social club, and that's it. It's not even, it's not even a, 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 a puddle that's an inch deep. It's like a little, it's shallow. Where's the depth? Where's the depth? Where's the meat and potatoes of the word of God? 
I mean, understand milk is beautiful, but it's for babies. Moving on to perfection, where's the spiritual porterhouse? Ribeyes. And at the same time, with that depth and that that depth that's deeper than the deepest ocean. There are gifts of the Spirit. And people say, oh, that was just for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Rubbish. You walk into a church and it feels like a social club. And you know what? If you were joining a social club, that would be one thing. But you're walking into a church. And where you see the social club, and I, I really hate to say this, and I almost don't say it, but I will say it. It feels cheap because there is no depth. You see? Koinonia cannot be manufactured. Ecclesia cannot be manufactured because it's holy. It's of the Lord. I mean, have you ever been with a body of brothers and sisters? Where? They're like you. When they hurt, you hurt. When they rejoice, you rejoice. When they're happy, you're happy. They're like you. And you are like them. That's the Holy Spirit. That's koinonia. That's ecclesia. That's the work of our Lord. It cannot be manufactured. You can't guilt trip anybody. Well, you know, like the Pope, so-called vicar of Christ. I call him vicar of antichrist. Who says, oh yeah, you know, we're supposed to be, we have unity, unity based on Abraham, based on Father Abraham. And so look, there's all this unity in Father Abraham and you know, Let's forget Isaac and Jacob. He cannot do that. He attempts to manufacture unity. You see? And there are major initiatives today that attempt to manufacture unity, but they will fail. Because real unity, real unity, it's holy. Ecclesia, koinonia, cannot be manufactured. And that's family, real family. And I'm not speaking biological. I'm speaking real family, heirs of Abraham. That's koinonia. But it requires faith. It requires faith and eyes to see and ears to hear. And the writer is saying here, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated. See, you know, we mentioned the religious leaders and the Romans as persecutors, but there's more to the picture. What about the majority among the people? The ones who are on board with the religious leaders and the Romans. The ones who are allied with the status quo of the zeitgeist and the spirit of the age. Which is against Christ or anti-Christ. Because they will mistreat 
translates as in the Greek as torment. Amen. Verse three. Remember, remember the prisoners as if with as if chained with them, those who are tormented. The saints of God in the Hebrews era, the book of Hebrews era, 67, 68 AD, were under major duress, major, major, major duress. And we never hear of a call to arms according to the flesh, but there's absolutely a call to arms according to the spirit. And the writer says, remember them. The prisoners, as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Now, there are two ways of looking at this. You know, the first one, one way is, you know, we, are, we have our earth suits and we're, you know, presently in a trapped in these earth suits which are decaying. But there's another way, the better way. That we are in the body of Christ. And understanding when we are in the body of Christ, it is entirely possible to exit abiding in Christ. Don't do that. Not good. Don't do that. But being in the body of Christ, which gives the effectuation of a certain mind, which is a new mind, it's a new mind that hurts with other believers. When they hurt, you hurt. You grieve with other believers. When they grieve, you grieve. You rejoice with other believers where when they rejoice, you rejoice. You see? So we, you know that you and me, we get in the time machine. And it used to be 20, it was a home fellowship, 20 people, and it was so glorious. We fell in love with every single person, you and me. We fell in love with every single one of them. So beautiful, beautiful, young, old, you know, children, you know, old people, middle-aged, everybody. We fell in love with all of them. Like in, in, the, in the span of about five seconds, we fell in love with all of them. The fruit of the Spirit was palpable. And they us. And then, you know, a couple days pass. We're at our fellowship again. And it's just five. What happened? What happened? Oh, my goodness. They're, tor they're being tortured. And it's like torment in our hearts. Like what? Yeah, they're in prison. What? And our heart is aching, aching for our brothers and sisters. You see, my brother is grieving. My sister is grieving. I'm grieving. I look at you and you say, I'm grieving too. And us, the five, we're, we're all grieving. Just as if we were chained with them. We're not in prison, like, you know, in physical location, but we're right there with them in spirit. Grieving together. And in our grief, making our prayers and petitions known to the Lord. And praying. 
This is what happens when the body is one. And I'm not referring to a carnal unity. A unity derived from evil in intent. I'm talking about the real deal. Where the formula is right. It's very rare. Very special. Very rare. But very special still. Understand, Satan, he doesn't want any saint to understand this. So what does he do? He twists things. He seduces. He corrupts. He's an excellent fisherman. Very skilled. Very crafty. He doesn't mind the church full of milk drinkers. But he wants everybody to stay on milk. You see? But if the mindset is like, oh, they... They're in prison. Oh, you know, stinks to be them. You know, where's the bread? Where's the, does anybody have any bread? You know? Oh, what's that? The guy was beaten. The lady was beaten. Oh man, that, that sounds really bad. Okay. It really stinks to be them. Does, you know, any, does, is, is there any more of that pudding? I really like that pudding. That's heartless. No compassion. The heartless attitude, the heartless mind, the soul with no compassion, that is the path of wickedness. That is not the fruit of the Spirit of our Lord. It is the fruit of another Spirit, but not the Holy Spirit. The heartless attitude, mind, soul, that's the way of wickedness. Listen. And listen well, and I love you. If this is you, the heartless, you must repent. You must repent and seek the Lord while he may be found. We are living in the last days and there will be a famine of the word of God. He who restrains will be lifted. Perilous times, the Bible says perilous times for a reason. And the heartless heart is not right with the Lord. And what do I say? Get right with the Lord. Let's get you cleaned up. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ and commit your life to Christ right here, right now. You say, wait a second, I'm already a Christian. Okay, recommit your life to Christ. Right here, right now. Hit pause, listen to the message. And then you come back, you listen. And we grow, we mature together. No longer heartless. But with the mind, with the heart of Christ, our Lord. The head of the body. The head of the church. Because we belong to him. That's for everybody who abides in Christ. You say, wait a second, I'm Catholic. Does that mean that I can't have entry? No, come on in. But you have a choice to make. Oh, I'm Buddhist. Does that mean it's not? No, come on in. Oh, I do the yoga. Does that mean it's not for me? No, come on in. The door today is open, but this door is not going to be open forever. Oh, I'm agnostic. You so you think you're special. You think you're special? No, not at all. Come on in, the door's open. But you have a choice to make. The Lord doesn't make robots. You have a choice to make. You see? 
entry into this strong tower, it requires a heart that is right with the Lord, which requires repentance, which requires you to be right with the Lord. And there is a way. It's the good path. Where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see? One body, one mind, one spirit, one Lord. That's koinonia. Very rare. Very rare. I wish it weren't the case. I wish it was everywhere. But it isn't. And it hurts. It cannot be manufactured. You hear people, do, you know, from the pulpit, giving the guilt trip. No, it's of the Spirit. Nobody is coerced to do anything. Everybody has a choice to make for himself or for herself. We see here in verse 4, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Listen, I love you. 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 But let's look at this in the Greek. The pornos, very interesting. Pornos, where the word pornography comes from. Pornos. The pornos, the prostitute, which means the, the prostitute, the fornicator, the whoremonger, the libertine. Libertine is the one who is devoid of moral and sexual constraints. Oh, if it feels good, just do it. Oh, if this feels good, just do it. Oh, if this feels good, just do it. That's libertine. That's pornos. There's more. The adulterer, the apostate. And the Bible says here in verse 4, God, he will crino. You know what that means? God, he will condemn. He will condemn. Today, the world is in trouble. Today, the church is in trouble. And I say unto you, come out of her, my people. Be purified, be cleansed, be ready. Because the bridegroom, he is returning. Understand in verse 4, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. Don't, you know, to defile the marriage bed, that's a choice. Husbands, men. To defile the marriage bed, that is a choice. And don't forget, the Lord is reactionary. I shouldn't say men alone because, you know, women, you know, they also defile the bed. But pornography, it's a big problem in the church today. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. In the church, it's a big problem. Huge. Marriage is honorable, yes. Me personally, I hate speaking about marriage. I, 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 I don't like it. I don't like speaking about marriage. And I don't hate speaking about marriage for the wrong reasons. I don't like speaking about marriage because most people... 
They have carnal motives when it comes to marriage. Oh, tell my husband to love me. And then the husband, oh, tell my wife to submit to me. What does Paul say? He says, let the married be as though they are not married. I mean, how counterintuitive is that? When Paul says, you know, husband, wife, be as though you're not married. Be as though you're not husband and wife. You see? Go back and listen to our study through Corinthians. You'll understand more. It's not, Paul isn't saying, yeah, you know, you're married. Okay, be like you're not married. So you can go out and party and go to the clubs and go to the ladies night and do this. No, not at all. He says, okay, you're married. Be as though you're not married so that we can please the Lord. That we can serve the Lord. Most married people, it's very difficult for them to comprehend. Oh, you're going to tell my husband like it is. You're going to tell him, oh, you're, you're, uh, you know, you, 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 you know, the Bible This you're going to, you're going to tell him like it is, you know, you're going to tell him to, to love me. You're going to tell him this. And then the husband, oh, you're going to tell her like it is. You're going to tell her just like the Bible says that she has to submit to me and this and that. And, but when you look at the Bible, there's a very specific formula. And Paul just straight up says, listen, you're married. Be as though you're not married. Now go to the clubs. It's so that we can please the Lord. Marriage is absolutely honorable. The marriage bed, keep it pure. Keep it holy. To defile the marriage bed, that's a choice. Male, female, I don't care. To defile the marriage, your husband, your wife, to defile the marriage bed, that's a choice. You see? And the word of God says here in verse 4, fornicators, adulterers, or, you know, the uh, prostitute, fornicator, whoremonger, libertine, the adulterer and the apostate, God will crino. God will condemn. You see? And because... False doctrines such as Reformed theology, Calvinism. I remember talking to a Calvinist pastor recently. Uh, not that recently. Well, kind of recently. And he was so adamant about once saved, always saved. And, you know, we took it to the extreme. A guy who does the sex, he's a married guy, does the sex and all these things. Sex over here, sex over there, sex everywhere. And then he dies. Oh, yeah. He'll, he'll be in heaven. Oh, yeah. Because eternal security, once saved, always saved. Whoa. And then he went on to say, yeah, he, even if he did rape, even if he did, yeah, once saved, always saved. Crazy. We are living in the last days. We are living in the last days days who is it that endures sound doctrine and what the word of god teaches who it's the remnant and there is pain associated with the remnant absolutely because it's painful to witness it's painful to see 
But Jesus says times of sorrows for a reason. Because the times, they're sorrowful. He says perilous times for a reason. Why? Because the times are perilous. We see here in verse 5, let your conduct, again, it's not God in his sovereignty, you know, making you, know, you making you behave in a certain manner, you know, thus saith the Lord, you will behave this way. No. He doesn't make robots. A person must choose to yield to the Lord. We see in verse 5, let your conduct, allow your conduct. It's not, you know, the Lord doesn't say like, your conduct will be this. No, let it be. Let, let your conduct be like this. You see, when we see here in verse 5, let your conduct be, you know what that means? That's like saying balls in your court. You have a choice to make. You and me, we have a choice to make. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Without it. You see? And it's, you know... When we see that let your conduct be without covetousness, it's, it's, it's not just covetousness alone. It translates also as covetous and greedy for filthy lucre, which is dirty money. Understand, you know, I'm all for upward mobility. And, you know, we've said this before. I'm all for it. I mean, look at, look at uh, uh, Barnabas. I'm all for upward mobility. But when it, you know, when, when it comes to like, you know, income, but when it's the Lord who's doing the mobilizing, you see? When someone uses carnal efforts because of carnal desires, that's when we go into the realm of the disobedient and we cannot do that. I mean, look at how the Lord, for such a time as this, in the days of Barnabas, that he was able to provide for the church, for the saints, 100% of the proceeds, selling property, you see, and taking the proceeds from 100% of property and saying, here, church, this is for you. And it's not for the church so that, you know, they can, you know, uh, uh, build a nice building at the, you know, a waterfront. No. It was for the saints. Distributing to the saints, whatever their needs were. You see? There's the, you know, what's in it for me mindset. You know, what do I get out of the deal? Me, 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 me. This was a problem in Corinth among the babies. It was the carnal fruit of extortion. I'll give you an example. Say I'm at a job. Say I'm at a job. And I don't like my pay. I mean, I'm able to put food on the table, but I don't like my, I, I, I don't like, you know, I'm able to put food on my table, but it's a nasty table. I don't like the table. You see, I want the fine china. I want imported Italian leather chairs. So I go to market and I speak to other employers. 
And you know, oh, I'm so smart. I'm so smart and intellectual. I'm so crafty. Yo, look at me. I'm so awesome. I can wheel and deal with this employer. I can wheel and deal with this employer. Oh, look at me. I'm how look at all this wisdom I have. You see, there is such a thing as biblical wisdom and worldly wisdom. You see? And I'm able to get a nice job where I can have my imported Italian leather. Now, this behavior already reveals a certain degree of carnality, but it also delves into the wicked as well in this regard. I go to my current boss. Hey, boss man, I tell him. Hey, boss man, can I talk to you? Listen, hey, boss man, there's this other employer, and I don't know exactly how it happened, but they're offering me a job. But you know what, boss man? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, and I, I, I want to do you right as a good Christian witness. So, you know, uh, um, if you can match their pay uh, or beat this wage, uh, I'll stay here because I'm a good Christian. If you can, look at, you know, I know I make, you know, X amount of dollars here, but look, if this other, oh, you know, I don't know how it happened, but, you know, uh, they offered me this job. And if you can match it or beat it, I'll stay here with you. I'll be fair with you. You know what the Bible calls this? The Bible refers to this as extortion. It's something that emanates from the covetous heart. Something the Lord says don't do in both testaments. Don't do that. You see, the ball was in my court in this example, and I had a choice to make. Understand that covetousness leads to deeper things. Remember, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. Now you couple that with you couple self-love with covetousness. That's a recipe for disaster. Not only money, but all kinds of selfish desires to, to please the flesh. You see? To please the flesh of the mind that is concerned with me, 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 me. What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? You see? All these Christians are... They're being tormented because of their stand in Christ. Oh, you know, stinks to be them. You got any more of that bread? You got any more of that pudding? That's heartless. No compassion. Oh, I'm a good Christian. Oh, I'm a good Christian. Really? Because the word of God testifies. The Lord himself testifies through the account of the heroes of faith that we've studied in Hebrews 11. And there's more, but Hebrews 11 captures something so beautiful. Yes, including torment and torture. People sawn in two. But you know what the Bible says? The world was not worthy of them. Because they were holy. 
Can you see how carnality? People say, oh, it's just a little this. It's just a little that. Oh, like guys will be guys. So what? Uh, just a little pornography. Oh, it's just a little strip club. You know, guys going to go to a strip club for a couple hours. Oh, it's just a, no big deal. No, listen, it's a huge deal. Remember Moses when he tells the people, listen, you're going into this area. Hey, they have their, their other peoples. They have their other gods. Don't mess with them. The gods. Don't mess with their gods. What happens? I mean, we're studying in Judges. They mess with their other gods. You see? They worshipped other gods. And the Lord is reactionary. You know, there, there are just as there are baby steps to righteousness, there are also baby steps to wickedness. There's a big diving board too, but there are oftentimes baby steps to wickedness. And the Word of God teaches us and shows us what to look for in the case of others, but even deeper, what to stand for and stand in in the case of ourselves. Remember Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. It's written to the church. And here in verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, you see? Oh, I can't, I can't have, you know, the, I can't have imported Italian leather. But I, I can have a folding chair. I can have several folding chairs. You see, they're plastic, but praise be to the Lord, plastic is more comfortable than metal. Be content with such things as you have. Remember the beginning of verse 5? Let. Let. Which means you and me. We are the ones that have to yield to the Lord. You see? I meant the Lord raised up Barnabas. He was wealthy. Yes, absolutely. He was wealthy. But his name was Joseph. You know who gave him the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement? It was the apostles. That's what they called him, Barnabas, son of encouragement. The apostles. This isn't like, you know, Joe Schmo naming him. Hey, hey, you're, I'm going to call you Barnabas because, you know, you, 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 you make me laugh when we're, you know, at the clubs or you're at the bars. No. This isn't Joe Schmo that gave him the names. This isn't, you know. No, th these are the apostles. And they give him the name, Barnabas, son of encouragement. Why? What an encouragement he was. And what a beautiful testimony. You see? Do all things unto the Lord. I don't care. If you're wealthy, do all things unto the Lord. If you're poor, do all things to the Lord. Unto the Lord. And here in verse 5, let your conduct be such as this. I meant whether or not a person is content with what he or she has, it reveals the willingness to yield to God or an unwillingness to yield to God. You see? For he himself has said in verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember, the cost of being a Christian in 67, 68 AD, in that time frame, it's very high. 
very, very high. And you never, ever, ever see a call to arms according to the flesh. What we do see is this constant, constant, constant reminders of holiness. Just like here where God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, standing in God's promises, other truths become effectuated. Just like we've studied in previous verses, chapters, books, Old Testament and New Testament. Other truths become effectuated. Look at verse 6. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? I'm at Matthew 10, verse 28. Our Lord says, do not fear those who kill the body. He doesn't say they're not going to kill your body. He says, don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. That's what's so beautiful. We have, you know, the new interprets, the New Testament interprets the old, the old interprets new. Look at Zebulun and Naphtali. Remember our study through Judges? Zebulun and Naphtali, you know what their mind, mindset was? Death before dishonor. Go back and listen to our studies. You'll understand more. And Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather... Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, and there are pastors today who say, oh, there's no such thing as hell. It's happening. They're fools. Fools. Wolves in the pulpits. Hirelings in the pulpits. They know not the things that they teach. They know not the things of holiness. And yet people give them ear. Remember Paul when he explained his phobia? When he says, I fear for you because these preacher guys are going to come in with another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. And my phobia, it's that you're going to put up with it. What did they do? They put up with it. You see? Here in verse 7, remember those who rule over you. This speaks of the leaders. Remember, leadership matters. Absolutely, leadership matters. There's a very specific formula. Qualifiers for leadership. Pastors and teachers of whom it is safe for you to submit to. And the writer is saying, remember them. Remember those who rule over you in verse 7, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Now, some faith you cannot follow. Some faith you cannot follow. A leader who says, oh, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. No, you cannot follow. You see? Conduct is included. I mean, in verse, you know, verse 7, the outcome of their conduct. Conduct included. A pastor is a sex head? You cannot follow. You see? And it's so, you know, 
the Lord, the word of God, he tell, he gives it to us. He tells us. He tells us all about qualifiers. Examples of the Old Testament, examples of the New Testament. What holiness looks like in both testaments, in both covenants, what holiness is. Understanding the rules of engagement. And we are a people of the new covenant. We are never to go to the old covenant. We are a people of the new covenant. The old covenant fulfilled in our Lord. The head of this body. And it's Jesus. You see, a pastor who's a sex head, listen, don't follow. A pastor who does his drugs, no, you cannot follow. And don't forget, pastors, elders, overseers, their home is open to scrutiny as well. Biblically open to scrutiny. Oh, he's a good teacher. He's a good teacher, but his wife's a crackhead. Listen, you cannot follow. Then you have people, well, we're supposed to be gracious and merciful, so it's okay that his wife's on crack and I'm still going to submit myself to this guy. Listen, if he can't take care of his own home, how do you expect him to take care of the house of God? Wife's a crackhead, kids are sexually active, having sex like crazy, doing their crystals and chakras and all kinds, you know, Buddha, Ouija boards, all kinds of things. Oh, he's a nice guy. I like his smile. He entertains me on Sunday, so I'm going to submit to him. You see? And that's what's happening. That's how apostasy... That's not just how apostasy happens. It's how apostasy spreads. And it's going to spread like wildfire in the last days. And it's already started. But when you understand formula, you know exactly what to look for. Which begs the question, well, wait a second. If, If doctrinally... I cannot submit to this pastor if according to conduct, the sex and the drugs, the rock and roll and the Ouija boards and the, you know, the yoga and the chakras and the alcohol. And if if that's the case and I can't submit to these pastors and these pastors, who's left? That's precisely the point. We're living in the times of the signs. You see, in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never changes. Never changes. Remember Joshua? And Joshua, in worshiping the angel, there was only one way where he could have lived. Because if it was an angel other than Jesus, he would have been killed. You see, Gideon making offering to an angel. The fact that he lived reveals that angel was Jesus. You see, and him in whom all things made in him, by him, through him, for him. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, he's the same. Verse nine: Do not be carried about by with do, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. Don't forget, apostasy is prophesied. Many will be carried about by strange doctrines, and it's already happening. 
but I teach the remnant. And here you have this exhortation in verse 9, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace. By grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. I have to tell you, it hurts when I see Christians partaking of foods outlined in Torah. I mean, it's one thing if they're Messianic Jews and I know some who do practice, but it's in order to win Jews to Christ. It's kind of like they do it like in evangelism. But look at Korah. Look at Korah. He ate the foods identified in Torah. Where is he now? He died. There is an inability of the law to address the heart. That's how the law was created. And that's the purpose of the law. The law is a tutor to bring to Christ. You see? People say, oh, righteousness in the law, righteousness in the law, righteousness through the law. Okay. What about Abel? You see? Oh, righteousness in the law, righteousness through the law. Okay. What about Abraham? How about Isaac? How about Jacob? How about them? Pre-law. You see, the law was added because of sin. The law is the additive because of trespass. Because of transgression. And it is a tutor to bring to Christ. Once in Christ, there is no need for the law. You see? Why? Because we're abiding in Christ. To abide in the law again is to exit Christ. We cannot do that. I mean, a person can do that, but when I say we cannot do that, I mean like, don't do that. We abide in Christ, the fulfillment of the law. You see? The law was created with loopholes. Why? Well, we studied this in our studies through Hebrews. Because it points to the better covenant. It makes way for the better covenant, which is Jesus Christ. In verse 10, we have an altar. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacles have no right to eat. You see, to my Jewish friends, especially those of Levi, I love you. And I will say this. I mean, if you're listening, you're like, what? Go back and listen to Leviticus, our studies through Leviticus. You'll understand. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. 
You see? As sacrifice, outside. As high priest, inside. You see? I'll say that again. As sacrifice, outside. As high priest, the holy place, the most holy, inside. You see? So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Every person has a choice to make for himself or herself. Who is Jesus? Oh, he was just a prophet. Okay, outside. Oh, you Christians are crazy. You believe in Jesus. Okay, outside. You're telling me Jesus is a savior? Still outside. But then the person says, Jesus, he is my savior. Boom. Inside. Jesus as high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You see? Therefore, in verse 12, Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Now, this seems somewhat strange. I mean, in earlier chapters, the writer says, you know, that we boldly enter. But now the writer is saying that we go to him outside? Is the writer wishy-washy? No. Remember, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is both inside and outside. You see, outside, we're with Jesus. Bearing reproach in the realm of the flesh where people will hate you and persecute you and yes, perhaps even kill you. But the inner man, the inner woman, also with Jesus in the holy place. Not as sacrifice, but Jesus as high priest. In verse 14, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Now the Greek captured this so beautifully. I love it. And verse 14 in the Greek reads more like this. Here in this place, we have no enduring city, but we seek and crave the one to come. You know what that is? That's home. That's home. That's paradise. That is Zion. And that's where we're headed. I mean, you hear us say, you know, you want to commit your life to Christ. You want to recommit your life to Christ. Okay, boom, hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And then you hear us say, come back and listen. We grow together, we mature together, and we journey together. Which begs the question, where are we going? Where are we going? Zion. That's where we're going. Paradise. Because here on this earth, in verse 14, here, in this place, we have no enduring city. I mean, look at the cities today. 
Look at the cities today. They are a mess. I mean, we have cities, but do they endure? No way. They cannot endure. Why? Because we're in this world. Look at the cities today. But we seek and crave the one to come. In verse 15, therefore, by him, let us continually, which means constantly, offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Remember Jesus when he says, it's not what goes into a man which defiles him, but what comes out of a man? Because what comes out of, from the abundance of the heart, that's what comes out of the, you know, that's what, you know, it's not what goes into his mouth, what comes out of the mouth, but it's the abundance of the heart. What does speech look like in the life of a believer? What does speech look like in the life of a believer? Now, let me tell you something, and I love you, but if you find that your speech is more carnal and less of the spirit, it reveals something about maturity level. And I don't say this to injure you in any way, shape, or form, but I do say it to exhort you. Every single one of us, us, you and me, and all who believe, every single one of us can die more and more and more and more. And when I say die, it's die to the flesh. You see? Die to the flesh and be alive in Christ. You have a problem with speech and dirty language, filthy language? Give it to the Lord. Straight up, point blank, give it to the Lord. And I tell you from experience. I meant ruffians used to marvel at my speech because it was bad it was dirty you see and i don't say that you know i speak as a fool in saying that but i say it to encourage you because i've had this conversation with people before many people oh that's just me that's just me you know so what if it's a little this little, that's just me listen In Christ, we are new creations with a new mind and a new heart. Why is it that I see the old nature? Why is it that I see the old man, the old woman? Why? Judge not lest you judge. Let's not lest you be judged. This, is, this isn't judgment. I'm not saying you're going to burn in hell. It's not crino. But I'm doing what the Bible refers to as anacrino and diacrino. I'm calling it like I see it. What's up with the cursing? I mean, it's one thing if a person's a believer for, you know, five minutes. Or a person's a believer for, you know, maybe five days. But when a person's a believer for five years, that's something different. What's the matter? Why, why aren't we maturing? Hey, brother, what's the matter? Oh, that's just me. That's just my nature. That's just, well, the Bible says that God gives us a new nature, a new mind, a new spirit as new creations. But I don't see the new creation. And I don't say this to be like, oh, you're going to burn in hell. No, 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 no. The Lord is the judge. 
But I do say to exhort, to help you deny those things. You see? And what comes out of a man? What comes out of a man? Look at verse 15. Therefore, by him, speaking of Jesus, let us continually or constantly, nonstop, offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to his name. Amen. Curse after curse after curse and, you know, this bomb and that bomb and this and that. And then a person is going to turn around and give praise to the Lord. What about when the fruit of our lips is constantly, constantly the sacrifice of praise unto the Lord, giving thanks to his name? And I say this not to hurt. I say this to exhort and to sharpen. And to beautify. In preparation for the bridegroom. Who is returning. Who will return. As surely as the Lord lives, he will return. Notice here in verse 16, but do not forget to do good and to share. And to share. The word here is koinonia. Koinonia. You know what that is? It's social intercourse. That's what it is. It's not the sexual kind. It's the social kind. It is the unity of the body. It's the family of faith. What we spoke of earlier in our study. The family of faith. Again, we say it cannot be manufactured. It cannot be manufactured. You can't guilt trip anybody to have unity with anybody. But it can be cultivated. It can be cultivated. Overseers, pastors and elders, always male, coverings, always male. Overseers have an important job to do. You see, an important job to do because with the wrong formula, this is very dangerous. I mean, verse 16, do not forget to do good and to share. Well, if the formula is wrong in the fellowship, this is very dangerous. Remember, it is a biblical truth to bear one another's burden. It's biblical and beautiful, but it can be very, very dangerous when exercised with leaven. You see? But do not forget to do good and to share. Just like Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? 100% of the proceeds of the sale of a property given to the church. Not so the church can, you know, hey, pastors, hey, pastors, elders, you know, uh, uh, board, we're going to have, uh, you know, everybody gets a pay raise. No. No. Oh, we got this nice, you know, chunk of change. So now we're going to, you know, build a house, uh, build a church on the waterfront. No. It's for the needs of the body. A widow needs help. 
My brother lost his job. A brother in the faith lost his job because he became a Christian and his boss hated him, fired him on the spot. Proceeds. Help for the body. Help for the widows. And don't forget our study through the pastoral epistles, those who are really widows. I mean, widow isn't just a blanket statement. <laughs> the Bible is crystal clear. Those who are really widows. You see? The body, caring for the body. I mean, when you get a cut on your arm, do you know what happens microscopically inside your arm if you get a cut or you get a cut on your hand? Do you know what happens microscopically when you have all the, the red blood cells and the white blood cells and, you know, other things? I, I know there's other things, but I just know the two. You know, the red and the white, and there's other things too. But everything works together, you know, that scabs over and all these things. And about a week later, the scab falls off and it looks like brand new. Skin cells restored everything. So everything went to work. You see? You get a cut on your right hand. Your left hand is completely fine. But part of the same body. Part of the same body. The heart, which pumps blood to, you know, through the vein system all over the body. I mean, you have a heart that's like in the middle of your chest and you get a, it pumps the blood and you get a little tiny cut on your pinky toe. You know what happens? It's going to bleed. You see? The heart pumps blood all the way down there. And if you're really tall, all the way, all the way, all the way down there. And the heart pumps blood. It gets there. You see? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name, and by his spirit and through his spirit. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek, supplying for all our needs. Way down here, not in a continuing city, but presently way down here. But the church body itself, helping one another, supplying needs for the saints. You see? It's so beautiful. This is koinonia, which cannot be manufactured. No guilt trips. People have to choose for themselves. Knowing formula. Knowing formula. You see? This church is the right church. This church is the right church. This church, they're crazy. This church, they're crazy. This other church, they're crazy. But this church is right. This church is right. Tiny church. It's not a mega church. The age of the mega church is over. I mean, you still see mega churches, but we're talking ju we're ju judgment territory now because judgment comes first to the church. Oh, this church is tiny. But wow, look at the love feast in this body. Look at the koinonia, look at the ecclesia. The word of God goes forth. 
It's the truth of God's holy word. The guy's not saying, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be safe. The guy's not saying, God is done with Israel. The guy's not saying, hey, let's go grave soaking. Let's go lay on the grave sites. You see? It's so beautiful and so holy. Within koinonia and ecclesia, which is holy, to do good and to share, to bear one another's burdens, to supply the needs of the saints. But it is very dangerous when the formula is wrong. Because you have the hireling. I mean, other things too. I mean, you have wolves too. And they cannot produce what is holy because they themselves are not holy. Remember, only the clean can clean. Old Testament, New Testament, only the clean can clean. Remember Gideon? I mean, we're about to study the, the actual battle and the fight. But in order to clean, I mean, you know, that sounds kind of carnal. You know, I mean, he's going to clean house, but you know, in, a, in a war sense, he's going to clean house. But in order to clean house, he's got to be clean. Get rid of the idols, you see. Get rid of the bale. Get rid of the wooden image. Only the clean can clean. You see? And bearing one another's burdens is biblical and beautiful, but also dangerous when it's with the leaven. In verse 16, do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. You see, these are the overseers in the church. Again, it is very biblical to submit to such people. But it must be in accordance with the out, what is outlined in Scripture. It must. I mean, look at pulpits today. Look at pulpits today. You'll find leaven. You'll find the lukewarm. You'll find the hireling. You'll find the false brethren. You'll find the false teachers. You'll find the servants of Satan. You'll find the wolf. Or you'll find the faithful shepherd. The Bible teaches about all of these. So you know exactly what to look for. The faithful shepherds in verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. They watch out for your souls. You know how you and me long to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. We long to hear those words spoken to us by our Lord. We long to hear those words. Faithful shepherds, they want it also. And they will help us hear those words because they're called by the Lord specifically for that task. And there are men in this world, which we have no continuing city, but there are men who watch out for the souls of God's people. They watch out 
for the flock. And they care for the flock. And the exhortation here in verse 17 is, hey, obey them. Be submissive. Now, is it when the formula is right, a guy's not going to tell you, hey, go wash my car. Hey, you know, go clean the toilets. No. But he will tell you, hey, you know, put, put down the crack pipe. Hey, stop cooking spoons. You see? He's going to help you. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account, as, as those who must give account, not those who might give an account, those who will. Brother James says a more strict account in James chapter three, verse one. That's why he said, you know, let not many be teachers. We see here in verse 17, let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. <clears throat> And he says, <clears throat> that would be unprofitable for you. I've heard people say, well, pastors are supposed to put up with me. So what if I'm carnal? So what if there's little drugs here, little sex here? Pastors have to put up with it because God is love and he is gracious. And, you know, these pastors, they got to deal with it. They got to put up with it. Now, that's probably a true statement with most pastors. Most pastors do put up with it. But there are some pastors who know their Bible. Remember Titus? Warning one, warning two, and there is no warning three. I mean, at some point, arrested development has to be identified for what it is. You see? Leaven. Leaven. For three years, arrested development in Corinth. And it revealed the leaven, the fruit of the leaven, the rotten fruit of the leaven. You see? Where Paul says, Paul says to them, your rejoicing is not good. Because with leaven, rejoicing in a church body can't be good. And it's precisely what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You see, the good pastors know this. The faithful shepherds who strive for koinonia, who strive for ecclesia, who strive for love feast in faithfully shepherding God's people. And the writer here says, obey them, submit to them because they watch out for you. Not just watch out for you. They watch out for your souls. You see? Just like, you know, remember the example we gave you tell baby girl, hey, baby girl, stay here. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And you come back and baby girl's gone. She was seduced by the wolf. And so you, in anticipation, you say, baby girl, wait right here. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And then you, you know, on your way out, you see, you've been eyeballing a guy. Little rough around the edges, but you know, you, you work with them. And you say, hey. You stand right here. You stand right here and you keep post. You stand post. You know, feed baby girl at these intervals. <laughs> you, know, you know, feed baby girl, take care of baby girl. But you stand right here on post. 
And when the wolf comes, you kill him. You see? Now when you come back, you say, baby girl, stay right here. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You come back, baby girl's safe and sound. Why? Well, before, you know, baby girl was seduced by the wolf. Now she's safe and sound. Because you called this guy to serve in this capacity. To feed and protect. The wolves came, but the wolves were killed. Dead wolves. You come back and you see a whole bunch of dead wolves around the house. Baby girl's nice and safe. You see? Now, when we say kill wolf, that's metaphysically, supernaturally. Paul was a wolf killer. Paul was a wolf killer. Titus was a wolf killer. Timothy a wolf killer. Very specific formula. Can you, you know, Paul, he says to Christians in their gathering, he says, your rejoicing is not a good thing. Picture that. Christians gather together. Oh, this is so good. You know, they're, they're praise and worship and this. Oh, they got good music. They got this and oh, look, it's so cool. And wow, this is holy. And Paul says, hold on a second. This, your rejoicing? No, that's not a good thing. Oh, Paul's so mean. You're so mean. And the reason why Paul says your rejoicing isn't good is because of leaven. There's leaven in the camp. And the leaven may shout even today, Oh, he's so mean. He's so mean. Don't go to him. He's crazy. Understand, shepherds must care for the flock, which includes protecting the flock. Protecting the remnant where they can safely exercise biblical truth, such as bearing one another's burdens. And this cannot be done with leaven. I mean, for a shepherd to tell someone, you know, this fellowship isn't right for you, you know, as a result of their choices. You know, to, to be leavened, arrested development and to be leavened. You know, this fellowship isn't right for you. People say it's a statement of hate. Oh, look, he's so mean. He's so mean. And they spread it all over. Don't talk to him. He's crazy. And the shepherd, he becomes a pariah. Everybody, everybody, everyone turns their back to him. Remember Paul when he wrote to Timothy? Everybody's left me. The saints in Asia, they left. But the statement of the shepherd, for the shepherd to say like, hey, this fellowship isn't right for you. In reality, it's a statement of love. It's a statement of love. How could it be love? Look, he doesn't want me to fellowship anymore. How could it be love? It's love. Oh, it's love. You know why? Because when truth is fed and a person chooses to be leaven, a person chooses themselves to have be in arrested development. These carnal behaviors are the very effectuators of what we read in Hebrews 6. 
where it is impossible to restore such a person. The faithful shepherd has nothing but love for the leaven. He's absolutely brokenhearted. But it's the leaven that has forced his hand through their own choices. You see? That's when we get into, like, you know, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, he says that Paul says to the remnant, hey, separate. This is leaven? Okay, say bye-bye. Leaven, sorry. This fellowship isn't for you because you're leaven. The sex, the drugs, you know, the extortion, hey. Paul's hand was forced by their choices. But then we get into 2 Corinthians, where Paul says, hey, bring them back. And it's not a blanket statement, like bring them back. Now, understand, you know, in accordance to, we have this example in the Old Testament with leprosy. The leper goes out of the camp, but they can come back in the camp only when they are clean. So there's leaven. I mean, you know, in our studies in Corinthians, we gave multiple examples. But say, you know, the example where we were the the leaven, which was, you know, a difficult example, but just an example. Where say we're in the church in Corinth and Paul writes a letter and says, hey, you're leaven. And we have our share of carnality that, you know, we haven't killed. We just kind of just. We liked it. We loved the Lord, but we also like whatever that form of carnality was. And it wasn't just for like a week or a month. It was like, hey, that was our lifestyle for three years. And Paul says, okay, you're 11. This fellowship isn't for you. And so we walk away. We're huffing and puffing. We're mad because, you know, we have the fruit of the flesh and the works of the flesh, the rotten fruit of the flesh. We're carnal. But then something happens while we are outside the camp. Something happens while we are not with the body anymore. It hurts. It's painful. Because we miss we miss our friends. We miss our family. We miss the body. We miss them. And in the course of time, we start to think, I mean, you and I, we still hang out. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, you know, that that alcohol doesn't, that whiskey sure doesn't taste so good anymore because it came at a cost. You see? Wow, you know, like in the course of time, you know, the sex and the drugs, you know, it just... Turning bitter. It no longer has the appeal that it once had. And what happens in the course of time? We repent. Lord, I couldn't see it at the time. Lord, we couldn't see it at the time. We didn't understand. We were too carnal. We couldn't understand. But now we get it. And you know what? Paul was right. Chloe was right. We were dirty before you. 
We were filthy before you, Lord. Forgive me. I repent. And then I give you the side eye, you know, and you say, forgive me. I repent, Lord. And now we're right with the Lord. And we still feel that hurt because we miss the body. And then you get into 2 Corinthians where Paul says, hey, those guys, those two over there, that guy and that guy, or if you're female, that guy and that lady, hey, bring them back. Bring them back. And then we go back. And we embrace, we, oh, I missed you so much. Oh, you know what? Forgive me. I'm so sorry. I didn't understand at the time. You know, we're so sorry that we caused this, this harm to our Lord Jesus, but, you know, to you and we conflicted you. And, you know, I know you wanted to bear in these burdens and, you know, and, you know, like it, it was dangerous to do that with when I was there, when we were there. It was dangerous. But now, you know, I've, I've seen the error of my ways. And, you know, forgive me. I'm sorry. We're right with the Lord. We've repented. You know, forgive me. And, you know, it's like all is forgotten. You see? Restoration. Restoration. That's what... That's what we see in the Old Testament with leprosy, and that's what we see in the New Testament with leaven. And there's a, a method by which healing happens. But that wasn't happening in Corinth with the defunct pastors. You see? Chloe knew about it. Those in her household knew about it, so they go to the male head. I mean, not Jesus, but they go to the male covering, I should say. They go to the male covering, which is Paul. The head is Jesus Christ. They go to the male head in terms of like leadership, the covering. So they go to Paul. Hey, Paul. Paul catches wind of it and writes his letter, 1 Corinthians. But just like the example we gave where you and me, we were former leaven and we've repented. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the next letter, he says, hey, bring them back. Remember three-year gap between the two letters. Three-year gap between the birth of the church and a three, another set of three years between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, bring them back. You see? And when a person chooses to be leavened, a pastor says, you know, hey, this fellowship isn't right for you. And it's not just like, you know, a statement like, hey, you know, uh, you know, you got shifty eyes. Get out of here. No. It's like, you know, what's up with the sex? What's up with the crack? What's up with the cooking spoons? What's up with the lines? What's up with the Buddha? And this is like, you know, over and over and over, you know, we've talked, we've counseled. And finally, it comes to the point. Remember, warning one, warning two, there is no three. Finally, it comes to the point, listen, this fellowship, it's not for you. 
You see, because there's there's a remnant body. They need to be they need to be able to bear one another's burdens and they need to be able to exercise the very things that the word of God says, such as in verse 16, do not forget to do good and to share. Well, to be able to do that in a church body safely. The saints need to be able to do that. I love, I, I'm so in love with like moms. You know, you see moms at like, you know, a playground, you go to a, a, like a, a park and you know, be at a distance because they're gonna, they're gonna, they're, they might kill you, you know, but you look at moms at like the playground, the good moms. I mean, you see some crazy moms that are like, you know, on their phones, they're not even watching their kids and they're, you know, kind of the defunct moms, but the good moms, they're watching like every single child, like at that playground where the, you know, the, the little, you know, monkey bars and whatever they have for kids, you know, the slide it's those kids are like ultra safe. And you see like the mom, they watch their kids like hawks. Anybody who walks by, they're all eyeballing, you know, who is that guy? Does anybody know that guy? You know, you know, somebody's looking at like the, the police scanner, you know, is, is there AP, APB out on this guy? You know, it's like, well, these, these moms are like, they are hardcore. And every single one, if any, any guy comes and attempts to do any, any harm to those kids, every, like, all of the moms would just like rip them apart, rip the guy apart, you know, and I'm so in love because that's like pastors. It reminds me of pastors. We're inside the fellowship. The saints need to be safe. They need to be able to exercise in the gifts of the spirit and, you know, using the gifts of the spirit and advancing and maturing in grace, in love, in mercy. And the saints, you have milk drinkers who cannot be on milk and so they need to be they need to be able to safely safely go from milk spiritual milk to the spiritual cheerios to the spiritual you know little pieces of meat and in the course of time to the spiritual porterhouse they need to be able to safely have that growth in christ and when the faithful shepherd says hey you know you want to do your sex We've talked about this. We've we've counseled on this. You want to do the drugs? We've talked about this. We've counseled about this. You've been warned multiple times. Okay, now this fellowship, it's not for you. And people, oh, that's so mean. That's so mean. No, it's love. Because if a person want, chooses to be leaven, and he or she is in a fellowship where the formula is right. Now you come into a situation where Hebrews 6 is in play. And that's where it is impossible to restore that person. You see? I meant here in Hebrews 13, verse 17. Let them watch over your souls with joy. Not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You see, Corinth had bad pastors. Corinth. They had bad pastors, bad elders, the defunct. And you know what's sad? The Corinthians, the saints, 
they didn't even know it. Galatia? They had bad pastors, bad elders, defunct as well. I mean, the Corinthian pastors, they couldn't discern the flesh and the spirit. The Galatian pastors, they couldn't discern doctrine. And Galatia had bad pastors and the saints didn't even know it. Laodicea, they have bad pastors and they don't even know it. You see? Look at verse 18. Pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. That's what's so beautiful about a good conscience before the Lord. Because it's pure and it's clean. Where in, No matter what, somebody could hate you. Somebody could have just utter vitriol towards you. And you have a clean conscience before the Lord. Your conscience... You know in your heart of hearts, hey, I'm pure before the Lord. I mean, you still hurt. You still grieve on their account. You still grieve. But your conscience, hey, you're, you're clean. You're pure before the Lord. I mean, picture Jeremiah. Picture Jeremiah. A prophet of the Lord. When there's all these priests, all these prophets, and all the people who submit themselves to the priest and the prophet. And then you have Jeremiah. When the religious establishment, oh, Jeremiah, you're so stupid. And they called him the weeping prophet, the lonely prophet. You know why? Because he was lonely and he was weeping. But he wasn't weeping for himself. He was weeping for the people. He was weeping for the people. I mean, a clean conscience before the Lord. It doesn't mean that you're going to be like, you know, full of joy. Oftentimes it's the opposite. You're going to have a pure heart, a pure mind. With lamentation. Because you grieve, you hurt. For God's people. God's people who have forgotten him. Just like with Jeremiah. Just like with Deborah. <laughs> I love Deborah. Just like with Deborah. You see, when the Lord becomes forgotten, who remembers? When the Lord becomes forgotten, who remembers the Lord? When the people become defiled, who isn't? You have the Ehuds, the Debras, the Gideons, the Chloes, the Pauls. You see? The Timothys, little Timmy. You see? Praise be to the Lord. And so we see here in verse 18, you know, pray for us for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. 
verse 18, he says, pray for us. Whoever this us is, it's plural. But then in verse 19, it's more personal. That I may be restored to you sooner. Such care for the saints, this writer of Hebrews has. Such care for the saints, very interesting. Such tender care for the saints. In verse 20, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Remember? Hebrews 6, where we move on, if God permits. Understand that God is willing. The question is this, are we? Are you? Am I? Let us together, you and me, yield to the word of God. And may the good Lord Permit us to mature into perfection through Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. You see? And this Jesus, Son of the Most High, High Priest in the order of Melchizedek, to whom be glory forever and ever. Our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our everything. In verse 22, and I appeal to you, brethren, bear the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. (laughs) Very interesting. (laughs) Kind of sounds like something Paul would say. (laughs) Just a couple words. Oh, it's just a few words. It's like, you know, there's, there's, you know, a big book. Oh, it's just a couple words. Oh, it's just a little message. It's an all-nighter. You know, remember when Paul was giving his, the, 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 the all-night teaching? You know, working by day, you know, he was a tent maker. Working by day, you know, okay, you know, Paul's going to speak. I'll just speak for, you know, 20 minutes. 20 minutes pass. Oh, he's still going. Well, you know, maybe just a little bit longer, maybe an hour. Two hours later, he's still going. Three hours later, he's still going. You know, dinner, people just start, start passing around, you know, like, you know, like, you know, uh, snacks because, you know, he's going a really long time. It's late at night. The guy falls out of the window. They go down. He's alive. You know, the Lord, you know, protected him. God's grace. Praise be to the Lord. The guy was okay. You figure, okay, you know, that, that, you know, that, 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 that broke things up a little bit. Everybody go back home. And Paul's like, no, let's go back. We're, we're still teaching. What? It's morning. Okay. The people with Paul, oh, you know, we're going to get some rest now. No, we got to make tents. What? Praise be to the Lord, a faithful shepherd, working as unto the Lord. You see? Working as unto the Lord in God's kingdom, called by the Lord, 
specifically for that. Remember, the Lord told uh, Ananias, because just as is written, the Lord does nothing without revealing to his servants. It says a lot about Ananias, who the Lord revealed this to. The sovereign God does nothing without revealing to the servant to, to his servants. Very interesting what we see here. I don't, it just reminds me of Paul. That's it. That's all, you know, it just reminds me of Paul. That's all I'm saying in verse 22. Here we are in verse 23. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free. Okay, so the writer is not Timothy. Who could it be? Who could it be? It's beautiful in verse 23 because verse 23 shows us Timothy isn't a stranger to chains. He's been set free. And we see in verse 23, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. It translates as welcome and embrace the leaders. Welcome and embrace the saints. Very beautiful. Remember, formula. Formula matters. Leadership matters. Formula matters. Formula matters. Very important. You know what to look for. I mean, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, okay, he says, I don't know what to look for, but I don't know what to look for. Okay, go back and listen to our studies from 1 Corinthians all the way to the end of Hebrews 13, and you'll understand. You'll know exactly what to look for. Embrace the leaders, embrace the saints. Welcome them. One body, one mind, one spirit, and that of our Lord. Those from Italy greet you. Very interesting. Very interesting. Is the writer writing from Italy? Because that places a certain individual there around this time. I mean, no one knows who wrote Hebrews, but I have my hunch. In verse 25, in closing, grace be with you all. Amen. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.